You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Tonight, I'm talking to Jason Bassler. How are you, Jason, in sunny California? I'm doing wonderful. Yeah, it's still kind of sunny out, thankfully. I'm loving it. Yes. Well, you're like, what is it, five o'clock there? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, so you are the founder of Police the Police. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. This is long overdue. I think we've been yeah. talking about doing this for like, what, two years now or something? Yes. So. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so thank you for having me on. Um, sipping on a beer right now. I hope you have some wine or a cocktail nearby. I might have one. <laughs> <laughs> I sure hope so. But no, it's a, it's an important topic. And uh, it's one that I don't get to talk about a lot. You know, I um, usually get caught up in the censorship and people just asking me how I got started and all this. So I appreciate um, talking about, you know, this, this topic that's obviously important to both of us. I'm um, certainly not an expert, but I've learned a few things um, over the years. So well, I um, would definitely, I would say that you're an expert. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, it, it annoys me a little bit that you've been only interviewed about a media censorship, which is really important. But what you do day to day is why we became friends. It's because you um, host one of the largest police accountability pages and um, sites on the internet. And that is police, the police. So how did you start that page? What made you start it? So I've uh, always been interested in activism um, as far back as I can remember in high school Uh, in my early twenties, I was doing the anti-war protests. Um, but by around like 2011 or so, uh, the Occupy Wall Street movement hit. And I realized I didn't have a good grasp of what was going on um, politically. And I also realized that I had a brand new iPad in my hands and that, you know, in the age of, the age of information, ignorance is a choice, right? So right. I basically realized it was um, very important to kind of understand the political climate, what was going on. And as I was watching um, a lot of the protests occupy Wall Street, I noticed that the police were very heavy handed. I noticed that they were ruthless to both, uh, you know, the the younger protesters, the older protesters, uh, anybody in between. And to me, it just kind of struck me as being off. I'd always kind of had this impression that law enforcement was supposed to work for the people. Um, Of Mm -hmm. course, I was pretty naive at that point, but at that point, it made me realize that I personally needed to get involved. I needed to do something to try to make some positive change and to, um, yeah, have my have my foot in the world of police accountability, I guess you could say. So basically, what uh, what does police the police do? I know that you have several um, pages on social media and your own site, but what what is your main focus on police the police? So during those first years of watch, watching the Occupy Wall Street movement, when I first started um, Police the Police, I realized that there was just an endless amount of police brutality stories coming out, and I couldn't keep up with all of them. Like I wanted to start focusing on one story and kind of uh, honing honing in on it and really trying to tell that story. And I, I realized by the time I got invested into that story, there was already something else happening that was almost worse. 
So I realized that there needed to be a place to archive and document police accountability, mm -hmm. p police, brutali uh, police brutality, police misconduct, and a police uh, abuse of power. And I was also very inspired and moved by um, a few of the people that were already doing similar things within the police accountability movement. Of course, mm -hmm. at that time, at you know, 2012, when I first got started, um, Black Lives Matter wasn't even around yet. It didn't exist. But there were a few police accountability organizations like Cop Lock, um, like We Cop Watch, uh, Photography is Not a Crime. Uh, there was a few others, but I was really inspired by what they were doing. And I, I saw that they had a social media presence and some um, good marketing strategies. And I kind of realized that that would be a good path for me to kind of try to do the same thing, um, but put my own skills uh, towards it and see what I could make of it. And uh, within a very short time, it, it started to take off. Uh, of course, uh, we partnered up with the people from Coplock, which, which you know, helped things. Um, mm -hmm. But it was only just a few years uh, in a matter of time, you know, we were reaching millions of people on a regular basis through our Facebook page and through our website. Yeah. So I think before you got censored, what was your um, reach as far as followers? So we had 1.9 million followers on Police to Police before it got taken down. Um, on a good week, we'd reach up to about 50 million people, um, sometimes less, sometimes more. Um, I have screenshots of pulling in uh, 40,000 fans in one week, you know, so um, yeah, we were reaching a lot of people. And uh, before we were taken down, uh, we were the biggest police accountability platform anywhere on the internet, including Reddit and uh, all social media platforms. So uh, when Facebook took us down, uh, you know, it was kind of a disservice to the police accountability movement. Um, of course, that didn't stop them from a couple of years later, parading around Black Lives Matter and uh, acting like they were you know, social mm -hmm. justice warriors helping the cause. But, um, you know, we remember, I think the OGs remember the people who have been doing this for long enough, remember that it wasn't just us as well. It was um, cop block that got taken down. Um, it was also filming cops. It was cop mm -hmm. logic. There was a number of uh, police accountability pages that were taken down during the October 2018 purge. So let me ask you, Jason. So um, a lot of people, you know, they might see what you do or whatever. Why do you think that filming cops is important for accountability? Like, what purpose does it serve? Um, it documents, it, it's, that's a great question. Yeah, it, it documents uh, the, the interaction for all parties involved. So it provides a level of transparency uh, for anybody in the general public to see who was in the wrong, see who the aggressor was, see who initiated the conflict. Um, so yeah, documenting and disseminating any type of information uh, regarding police, negative police, police encounters is very important. And also, um, you know, when we want to talk about things like live streaming, that's probably one of the best options of streaming it straight to your Facebook account. There's also several other apps and social media platforms that let you do that now. But uh, documenting it and putting it in the cloud so it's um, you know not able to be deleted by law enforcement if they do get a hold of your mm -hmm. property. Um, but yeah, that's some of the most important um, stuff we could do. And uh, never hesitate to film uh, your own traffic stop, your, your own interaction with law enforcement, or even if you just see somebody who's having an interaction with law enforcement and it appears to be going sideways, 
um, you're absolutely 100% legal and it's a lawful activity to film police. So by all means, you could, you could save a life. Um, you could potentially, um, get somebody, you know, have their, their charges dropped if the evidence shows. And more often than not, um, you know, police will fabricate stories. Um, and a mm -hmm. lot of times they'll actually even turn off body cameras or obstruct body cameras. So it's absolutely important to have a third party witness uh, documenting any type of uh, law enforcement interaction. You know, it's funny because a lot of people believe that filming the police in a public area is somehow against the law or immoral. Um, and so I don't think people understand their rights as individuals and citizens. And um, filming the cops is absolutely not against the law. And I know you and yeah. I really don't care much for the law <laughs> as <laughs> propositioned by the state. But um, if you could expound on that a little bit more about how, like, um, people don't understand their rights and, and you can film cops and you don't have to answer questions. If you could, like, expound on that, that would be awesome. Yeah, no, you're right. A lot of people have a misunderstanding. I think it just kind of goes back to just disobeying authority on any level people are hesitant of. But Actually, in 2015, Colorado passed a law that uh, fines cops $15,000 if they interfered with citizens filming them. So, um, yeah, by all awesome. means, you have every right. Um, and, and you're, yeah, you're right, Tricia. There's such a misconception. Even the public uh, thinks that there's laws to prohibit filming in public. You know, you'll see people um, on these, these First Amendment auditor videos, which I'd love to get into here in a second, but you'll see people um, approach the camera and they're like, don't film me. You don't have my permission to film me. And it's just an absolute ignorance of the law. You know, there's no expectation of privacy whatsoever in public. So if you could see it, you could film it. And that includes through fences. That includes with drones. Um, so, yeah, and that's what exactly what um, these First Amendment auditors do. And as far as I'm concerned, these people are some of the bravest activists that exist on the planet because they're actually actively walking up to government buildings and challenging law enforcement. And many of the times these law enforcement officers don't even know the laws that they're enforcing. And uh, they try to intimidate. Sometimes, you know, you'll catch an officer who actually understands what's going on. But the majority of the time, you'll see these officers who are majority of the time enforcing their ego rather than the law and uh, try to intimidate and bully the auditors who have a First Amendment right to audit on public property. And uh, it's, you know, it's exactly what the, the name uh, suggests. They're auditing to see if these public officials are going to respect their rights or not. And uh, I would say the majority of the time they get, you know, 100,000 views on YouTube because these public officials, these police employees are embarrassing themselves by highlighting and proving that they don't have any concept of majority of the laws that they're enforcing. So, um, you know, yeah, it, it's... Uh, it, it is a, a I, I conundrum, that, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I found that on a personal level, like experience, having uh, an experience with law enforcement, that I'm actually more knowledgeable on the law than they are, which <laughs> is is quite frightening because they have a badge and a gun. Um, but w we talk about these uh, First Amendment auditors. And a lot of people, like if, if they'll watch the video, they'll say that these people are being agitators or whatever. What is your stance on that? What 
um, when people you know kick back and say, well, why are you fighting the police? Why are you filming them? You don't have any place to do this. You know, they're just serving a purpose and doing a job. What would you say to them? I would say initially I could kind of understand that viewpoint um, on the surface level. You know, people want to, and there's a general, you know, speaking, uh, talking point that police have a tough job, right? And that they mm-hmm. don't need people making it any more difficult and that police should be respected. I mean, those are two things in society that we hear all the time. Um, Why do you disagree? I believe these people are making sure, as the name says, they're auditors. These are the people that are making sure that law enforcement, that police employees are are respecting our rights, they're not violating our rights, that they know the laws. These people are, to an extent, policing the police. And Mm -hmm. they just happen to have uh, a video camera, you know, to document it, which, again, is, is something that's very important. And, you know, the best part about this is that they have financial incentive to be doing this as well, because they get millions of views a lot of times Mm -hmm. if it's a a very viral interaction. And uh, through the YouTube monetization factor, you know, they could make a a hefty living filming cops. But um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it, it, it can be a lucrative business if you know how to interact with police and some of the best auditors, I would say, Amagatsa Press is probably one of the, the best ones. Um, San Joaquin Valley Transparency. They're not trying to go to the police. They're not trying to, um, you know, incite any type of negative interaction. They let the police do that for themselves. And look, some of these videos of police actually acting in the correct fashion, in, in the right manner, some of those videos actually go more viral than the ones of them acting like jackasses or trying to get confrontational. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that um, actually comes around to um, my point of pragmatism, which I, I do believe, you know, I I know you're an anarchist. Yes. Are oh, you? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> of course. As well as <laughs> I. But I also live in the world we live in. And so I understand that right now that the police have a monopoly on force. And so the best we can do is try to make them accountable in their positions. And Body cameras are uh, like a huge point of argument for people. Um, And it seems that most cops um, turn off their body cameras when they should be on. Um, And I think that some people have proposed ideas that, you know, if your body camera footage isn't available, then you should be punished. Can you expound on that a little bit? Yeah, you're right. This is a very... um conflicting topic among the police accountability and even libertarians, uh, maybe some people on the left, people should not view body cameras as a fix-all. If anything, they're a band-aid. But just like a dash cam, um, it serves a purpose. It it documents and it provides a level of transparency, which is important. However, as you've explained, cops have notoriously turned off their body cameras or obstructed them uh, in, in crucial times. And majority of the time when that happens, uh, the superiors just put their hands up and they're like, well, whoops, you know, that's just part of what happens in police work. Um, I, I, I've proposed, uh, and some of these solutions are mine, some of these aren't mine, but uh, body cameras are activated once they're outside of a uh police car or police department via NFC tags. Uh, that would mm-hmm. be one way to make sure that they're constantly streaming 
of course, there runs into some privacy issues. You know, people always want to object, like, well, what if they're going to the restroom or whatever? Of course, there's going to be some of these, uh, you know, issues that we, there had to be ironed out and fixed. I don't not claim to right. have all the answers, but I'm just saying these are possible solutions. Um, and another one, too, is that we don't ever get to see the body camera footage um, once it's saved. Sometimes uh, it's, it's actually never produced. Sometimes it's only produced a year later. Sometimes it's only produced for the family and the lawyers and not um, made public. So to me, it makes sense for body camera footage to be live streamed um, mm-hmm. 24-7, 365 days a year to public servers. Uh, of course, you know, that's going to cost some money. Yes, I get it. Um, you know, please have budgets. Uh, obviously, body cameras aren't free. Those cost money as well. But look, these are our tax dollars that are involuntarily extracted from us. At the very least, we should be able to see what our tax dollars are doing, right? That we should have a way to access and and pay attention to what's, you know, what they're up to, if they're up to something nefarious, if they're actually helping people. I mean, could you imagine the level of transparency if we could literally type a few, you know, keywords in and see what our local police are doing at that moment? Um, Again, there's privacy issues involved with that. I, I don't have all the answers, but it seems to make a hell of a lot more sense than waiting for police to use their own discretion as to when release, when to release the body camera footage. Well, how and dare just, you? How dare you <laughs> actually expect people that are living off of your dime to be accountable for their time and action? How dare you? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, we always I, I uh, expect that. that from the market. Yeah, it's funny how cops have this... Um, they have some sort of special uh, privilege that other people don't, uh, you know, they become different citizens than we are. Um, so yes. body cams, um, actually, there was a case recently in Ohio where they finally actually uh, published the body cam video and the cop got indicted. I don't know what's going to happen with it because obviously, you know, he might get off like most cops do, but he shot the dude for no reason. And so um, I, I think that um, personally, I think if a cop turns off his body cam, that that should be um, an actionable offense. Like if you turn off your body cam and you don't have footage, then you should pay the price for it because you're, you know, you're, you're working for the public. And so if, if you can't account for your time, then you need to own up to it and suffer the consequences. That's my personal <laughs> view of that. Um so there's a lot of other things like I know that you guys post a lot of videos um, of, you know, police brutality and stuff. But there's other things you posted, which I think are really interesting because I think they are um, real life uh, solutions. And one of those was liability insurance. So if you could, like, expound on that, how that would work in helping police police themselves. Yeah, so it's a, a concept in theory um, and actually being implemented in a few places. I believe uh, Minneapolis, um, geez, since like at least 2015 or so has put it into place. But yeah, it's a theory basically that insurance companies would have a better, uh, be more effective at uh, regulating and uh, thwarting police violence by looking at um disciplinary records, looking at reputation, looking at uh, previous violations of the law, basically just doing what insurance company normally do, but in the sense of insuring uh, law enforcement officers and 
it, it's really not that unheard of. You know, there's other industries that require um, individual liability insurance. So um, in this case, the taxpayer would be uh, let off the hook. As of right now, um, cities spend millions and millions of dollars for police accountability settlements, and it comes out of the ta taxpayer's um, dollar. So that's a big problem because it doesn't provide any incentive for uh, accountability. It doesn't provide any incentive um, for police to not act in a way that they know they're not going to be liable. And uh, this actually comes back to the whole um, public police issue and problem that we at Police the Police try to focus on, because as libertarians, uh, that, that is the biggest focus that we should be uh, pointing at when we talk about uh, police accountability. So, so basically what it is, is making the police um, be uh, accountable for their actions through the free market. It's basically saying if, if you do something that is immoral or unright or breaking a contract, then we have the right to sue you personally and take that back from you. Is that close? Correct. To what yeah. And if, if, yeah. And if the officer has too many violations, if he's, you know, um, too many strikes on the disciplinary record, he, he can be uh, uninsurable, therefore not hireable by the departments. So um, yeah, there's, there's quite a few. And to correct you, I mean, if it's something that is state sanctioned, if it's a law that's mandatory for law enforcement agencies to implement, then it's not 100% a free market solution, but it's more headed in that direction. Whereas, as I was saying, like the insurance companies would have the power to pick and choose which officers that they would want to insure and uh, leave some of that heavy lifting rather than the department making those choices when there's already pre-existing favoritism and bias involved with individual officers and their superiors rather than you know having leaving it to that mm -hmm. mechanism we would actually allow the, the insurance companies and I, I get it you know then the flip side and i always want to focus on the flip side the flip side is that sometimes insurance companies can be a little shady and uh yeah but well, i think in this agent I, I, am <laughs> I get that all day long <laughs> <laughs> right so um you know there it, it's not a perfect solution but i think again this is a step in the right direction and uh you know there's there's a hundred of these types of solutions that could be um you know found by the state that could be legislated but um that, i don't know if that's necessarily the, what we want to talk about you know and i i personally mm -hmm. i mean i feel like there's a demographic for um each of the solutions that i, I talk about and it just depends on like how far down the rabbit hole you've kind of evolved to when it comes to mm -hmm. um, the free market anarchism and, and and private companies and whatnot, you know. But uh, I think as far as talking to normies and just trying to get on their radar with possible police solutions that they could advocate for, I think individual liability insurance is one of the most important ones. No, I quite agree. And then I'm going to like keep going down these points of accountability because a lot of people are talking about something called qualified immunity and maybe people don't even know what the hell that is. <laughs> so if you could explain how uh, the police have qualified immunity, that would be wonderful. 
Yeah, um, this is probably one topic that I'm not as well versed on, which I probably should be. Um, but I, I believe it was in the late 2000s, maybe 2010, uh, the courts basically uh, assigned individual, um, excuse me, not individual liability insurance, but um, qualified immunity, excuse me. And uh, that that obviously what we've seen time and time after again is basically a blank check for law enforcement officers to um, act however they want. And I, I say that it's a very a broad take on it, but it, it's more or less the truth because when a monopoly claims to be the only entity to um, have a legal use of force, it, it it kind of bl blurs the lines. Um, it's it's so arbitrary that the rules that they purport to follow um, are changed upon a whim. You know, they're they're usually vaguely worded um, so they could side with their own actors. So it it tends to be this discretion once again with the courts. And this is the problem. You know, is that the state is a monopoly. So they're a monopoly of law enforcement, but they're also a monopoly of law. And if they're the final arbiter in all cases of conflict, including conflicts that involve their own actors, then there's zero incentive to ever be fair or rational or just. So I think that's more or less what it comes down to is it's just kind of like an umbrella term that the courts could use to get law enforcement officers away from charges if they feel like they were using um, the, the force or whatever the action is that they, you know, are being accused of if they were doing it within the legal scope of being a law enforcement agent, uh, officer. No, I, I definitely like, I agree with your point. And I, I think it's basically like a way for, uh, police to never be, uh, held accountable for anything. It's like the worst form of police accountability. And I think about, um, the George Floyd case right now, which is in court right now, and Derek Chauvin, I believe, will be sheltered because of qualified immunity. Even if it's even if they charged him and whatever, it, I just feel like that this case will be tried on the fact that he's a police officer and is um, able to do what he wants to do and. And George Floyd died at his knee, and it doesn't really fucking matter. Um, what What do you think about this case? Like, it's it's ongoing right now. Right. Yeah. It's what three days old. Um, it's uh, there's a lot at stake, right? I think um, they know that there's going to be some serious backlash and unrest if they don't hold them accountable. Uh, after we saw, you know, a whole summer worth of protests. Um, I think the defense at this point, their, their strongest angle is probably um, the whole, you know, overdosing. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. And from what I could tell, I mean, I've done research on this quite a bit and, uh, you know, that's not the case. Yes, he had uh, fentanyl in his system. But from what I could tell um, from a few different reports was that it was a asphyxiation. So it's mm -hmm. um, I don't think it's going to hold up. And I think more or less what the George Floyd case represents was a boiling point within the American public having enough of seeing these types of incidences and seeing these types of 
viral videos of brutality over and over again. And uh, yeah, you know, everybody has their own theory, right? So, I mean, our conspiracy friends, you know, they're, they're claiming that it was all set up and it's, it's all like staged actors and um, our our friends on the right, you know, yeah, right. Our friends on the right are claiming that, you know, the police are innocent and it was just drugs and that uh, this is all just Soros and BLM causing unrest to (laughs) usher in socialism and, I don't know, man. I mean, look, I've been doing this for how many years now? And uh, I could tell you, we've put out viral video after viral video. And at some point, people have to say, okay, enough's enough. And they might not know exactly what to do about it. They might take to the streets and protest and, and feel like they've done their duty. But one way or another, I think that's what it was an expression of. It was just frustration and people coming to their boiling point. You know, you bring up a really good point, Jason, because uh, people can say whatever they want and they can uh, take sides and fall on the left or right or whatever. But, you know, I followed you for a long time. That's I really just appreciated what you did, which is why originally we became friends, because I don't think people understand how much this happens. Like, I don't think people have a really good grasp on the fact that the police are a predator on society. And if they could just watch your site, if they could just watch videos, they would understand this is not okay. And this is, this happens regularly. This is not um, something that's some weird happenstance that you have to argue against or uh, favor the police. It's just the norm for the police because they have a monopoly on force. Yes. It's, uh, you know, it's not an isolated incident as they call it. it. It's a regular occurrence. It's so regular that sometimes I wonder if we're doing a disservice to the police accountability movement by highlighting these stories on a daily basis, potentially desensitizing people. But, um, yeah, you're right. It, it only seems to be getting worse. Um, on average, you know, uh, police kill a thousand Americans every year. Um, my, I, I usually say, you know, America's um, civilized country with uncivilized police. And uh, mm-hmm. this is exactly why, you know, because other countries, of course, aren't the same size of the United States, but the, 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 the deaths, you know, the lethal use of force is considerably lower. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a serious issue and uh, it doesn't seem to be getting any better. And as I was mentioning, you know, it, it seems to be, one of those things where, okay, a big incident happens, you know, the Mike Brown, uh, Terrence Clutcher. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there'll be, you know, there'll be protests and it'll last a good month or two. People are pissed off, but the long-term effects of trying to make legitimate change, usually it, it usually devolves to apathy. And most of the time people kind of lose interest. Um, you know, they, they hear that their legislators are creating some type of, uh, legislation to, you know, thwart uh, police violence or whatever. Um, nine times out of ten, those either get watered down or never end up passing. And people continue to ask for reform, you know, through uh, political means. Mm-hmm. I- I've been seeing this my entire life, and in some ways, like maybe you know, our conspiracy theorist friends had a point that it, it was co-opted. You know, the whole movement uh, after George Floyd was killed because. Look, if you're just going to keep suggesting that there needs to be political political reform over and over again, 
then, hey, look, nothing's ever going to change and police are going to mm-hmm. continue to do what they do. And the entire system is going to continue to keep making money. And, you know, uh, we're going to continue to keep putting people in, in prisons. And mind you, you know, the U.S. has the biggest pop- prison population in the entire world. So this is big business, you know. And as far as I'm concerned, these people aren't serious about actually making change. A lot of these people either are misguided, misdirected, or just virtue signaling and should know better. You know, our, our friends who are anarchists on the left should know better. And, you know, they continue to, to present the same solutions over and over again. As far as I'm concerned, it should not be defund the police. It should be decentralize the police. That's the solution. No, I quite agree, which is why I'm a big fan of the Tenth Amendment Center, because, um, you know, we have a state. It exists. I'm, we're not stupid. We know it's here and we live in it. So if you decentralize and make things local, you can actually affect change. I've actually worked um, with, uh, you know, jail reform or bail reform and the Cuyahoga County jail um, reform position here. And it, it makes a difference. So like a lot of people want, they, they speak a lot on like disliking the police, a lot of ANCAPs, but they don't understand that it takes actual work to do so. So, <laughs> um, and I'm not trying to hate on NCAPs, but they, they really annoy me nowadays. Anyways, um, so we talked about qualified immunity, uh, liability insurance, body cameras. But what do you think is the one biggest thing that can happen to change um, this, the police state in the United States today? Well, I was just touching on it. I think decentralizing is the only legitimate solution. And I think by doing that, we allow communities to voluntarily choose uh, protection security agencies. And remember, these are going to look a lot different from law enforcement agencies, right? They have a totally different objective. They're not going to be shaking people down for victimless crimes. Um, you know, they're not going to have any incentive to pull you over, or ask you where you're going. These people are actually have incentive to try to stay in business. They want to try to please their uh, customer base. So um, as far as I'm concerned, that is by far the biggest um, point that we need to get across, especially to our audience. I don't feel mm-hmm. like it's talked about enough. I feel like I'm like one of a few people who continue to harp on this subject and and continue to point at it as the only legitimate solution because both the left and the right have no retort to it. I think the right kind of likes the idea just because it's the word privatized, but otherwise, you know, they're mostly a bunch of bootlickers who get a little confused by the concept. Um, (laughs) But I guess I would have to ask um, Trisha, like, are we talking to the general normie when I answer this question? Are we talking to more libertarians are we talking we, to we are anarchists? On, we are on stereo. So the people we are talking to are just regular folk. Gotcha. So um, I, I think individually, some of the most important things you could do is know your rights, um, teach other people their rights, always film the police. Um, if you're very passionate about keeping police accountable, accountable, try to start a cop watch group in your own community, um, share any type of police related information on social media. Uh, create petitions, create a civilian oversight committee. Um, If if there isn't one that already exists in your city, try to speak out at city council meetings. Um, Another one we were talking about earlier is First Amendment audits. Those are probably some of the most effective 
Um, of course, teach your kids uh, your, their rights as well. That's very important. Um, kind of on like a larger scale, I would say um, campaigning to end the drug war. Uh, the drug war has been a disaster for uh, 40 plus years now, a complete abject failure. And um, it's a cash cow. You know, they don't have incentive yeah. to end it uh, on the federal level. So luckily, we're seeing um, some states kind of chipping away slowly at repealing some drug prohibition laws. But um, I would also say demoting and removing violent cops. Um, a lot of times these people get, uh, you know, a pass, they'll either get a slap on the wrist with um, a, a two week paid vacation, and then get right back on or they'll actually be fired from the department. And, uh, you know, move to a different department down the road, which also brings to another solution, which we should be creating a national blacklist of bad cops. Right. Yes. Like this is something that should be done on the federal level. This just should have been done since the 80s and beyond, you know, even before that. Um, and the fact that, you know, the feds haven't been monitoring this or keeping any type of legitimate um, track of it just shows, you know, how incompetent they are and how little they actually care about the, the safety of the, the citizens. Um, another one I would say, um, and I know this probably rubs some people the wrong way, but regular psych evaluations and drug tests. And, you know, I, I'm right there. I don't believe any drugs should be illegal. I, I believe all drugs should be legal. But if these people are taking a paycheck to enforce victimless laws like drug laws, then they should be abiding by the same laws as well. You know, and I don't oh. want to. Yeah, deal with some roided out dickhead, you know, so um, <laughs> that seems to make sense. And I, we actually um, covered a, a gentleman, an officer, um, about two months ago. Um, God, what was his name? It was an officer who on his very last day of uh, his duty walked outside of his police department and uh, shot himself and killed himself. And he left... Um, three videos before he killed himself. And one of the things that he had mentioned was that um, regular psych evaluations are one of the most important things that law enforcement officers can do. And uh, I don't believe there's enough of that. You know, I don't, I don't believe they have enough um, support when it comes to their own mental health. And a lot of these people have their own issues, their own PTSD, their own traumas. Mm -hmm. And without um, addressing them and getting them help for it, Oftentimes, those issues are transferred over to the public and various forms of brutality and violence. Um, I, I could keep going. I mean, you want me to keep going? Oh, keep I keep going. going. I, I'm actually really <laughs> enjoying it. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> um, we talked about reviewing uh, the, the failed body camera policies. I think that's something that needs to be updated. Unfortunately, there's still um, plenty of departments across the country that don't even have body cameras yet. And that's, you know, unacceptable. There's really no logical excuse for it. They, they often blame funding. Um, but there also needs to not only be body cameras at every department, but I think nationally, there needs to be, uh, if we're going to use the state in, in the right manner, there needs to be some kind of discretion, perhaps regulation as to um, valid body camera policies that actually work uh, for the people rather than against them. Um, I would say um, prioritizing non-lethal ways to arrest suspects. Uh, this is a big one, right? Because we often see people who are armed with something as 
as insignificant as like a stick or a broom. And because those are classified as threats to law enforcement, um, if a, if an individual approaches law enforcement, uh, they are often justified legally in their lethal use of force. So as far as I'm concerned, there's other ways to address mentally, uh, people who are dealing with, um, mental issues. And our friend, uh, Dale Brown at the Detroit Threat Management Center, uh, is a perfect person to highlight some of those techniques. Um, this guy, he's been, uh, since the, the late nineties focused on nonviolent, uh, solutions to, to dealing with, um, predators, criminals in his community. And, uh, if any of your listeners are interested in this topic whatsoever, just YouTube Dale Brown Threat Management Center. And there's been quite a few documentaries. Uh, by reason, by vice, by cop block. And they really explain what this guy is all about. Like this guy is the shining example for what privatized, uh, security companies could be. And, uh, I don't feel like, again, he gets enough credit within our, our movement and our community. Um, but I, I really do feel, feel like that's one of the most important things that we could do because. Uh, if you're mentally ill, you have 16 times more of a chance to be killed by law enforcement, 16 times more likely. And that's uh, that's as far as I'm concerned, yeah, like in, in 20, or 30 years, we're going to look back at all these people that cops killed that were going through a mental episode that could have been easily de-escalated. De but because of their training, uh, because, you know, they're trained, if somebody is, is coming at you aggressively and they happen to have like a stick in their hand, something as you know, non-lethal as a stick that you're legally justified to um, put bullets into them and kill them, you know? So this really needs to be revised. And uh, unfortunately, I don't see uh, much of a, a national talking point about something like this, as there probably should be by Black Lives Matter or other police accountability activists. But um, if, if we were going to revamp and rehaul the entire institution of law enforcement, that seems to be one that really needs to be addressed. No, um, I think you you make a great point, Jason, because a lot of people like they they'll um say defund the police, do this and that, but they don't really have a clear plan. Um right. <laughs> and so what if if we were to defund the police, what would you think that would look like in a libertarian, you know, world? Well, I mean, I get the I, I get the calls to defund. I mean, the just the images, the imagery of militarized police. I mean, it's intimidating, right? It, it creates mm -hmm. a divide amongst the public and law enforcement. And um, I, I get why people would want to defund it. Um, and ultimately, it's not the worst idea. It's mm -hmm. short-sighted in many ways, and it, it became a rally cry. But um, I, I believe in a libertarian society, that would be... Well, are we talking libertarian? Or are we talking like a, a truly like voluntary, voluntary society? Because I mean, if we're talking like a minarchist society, then that, that's maybe a little different. Well, but. here's the thing. I'm a voluntarist and I live in a real world. So I need to know about real world solutions. So give me some. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. Well, I mean, um, the, the, the budgets that police have are so bloated anyway, right? Like oh, I, I just yeah. made a meme a couple of days ago that police were actually diverting or, uh, excuse me, governors and uh, city officials were actually diverting COVID funds towards uh, the police department's funds. So, I mean, there, and I think one of them <laughs> in Chicago, 
Chicago was like $235 million, you know, I mean, it was a lot of money and it's significant. <laughs> and it's funny because ironically, this is after a whole summer of people, you know, calling for defunding the police and it was just the opposite. And they've gotten all this money through COVID funding and nobody says a word, you know? Um, but I would say that is one of the many problems of the tax racket based uh, law enforcement system that we have now, because there is really no way to quantify if law enforcement is using the money effectively or efficiently. If we were paying voluntarily, that would be a different matter. But uh, what tends to happen is if there is some type of problem or troublemaker, let's say uh, within the department, they will get more money thrown at it rather than um, trying to address the situation. So um, right. that that tends to yeah, compound the problem and then blow the the budgets, you know, and um, that that tends to be the solution in most government, um, you know, with problems is just throw money at it. Well, because we are both like free market people, uh, I don't think a lot of people understand like defund the police and free market. <laughs> they can go hand in hand. Um, and so I don't think a lot of people understand that police have the monopoly on violence. Like, um, yes. Uh, yes. And that's really important because, um, you know, we can talk about all these solutions, but they won't be implemented because the police have a, a monopoly on violence. And so what is that? If, if you could expound on that. Yeah. So uh, law enforcement in the United States claims a legal monopoly on the use of force and also being a legal monopoly on law enforcement. So, uh, that's a big problem. Um, that means that there's only one entity that gets to dictate, you know, their own policies that gets to, um, run rampant in the face of accountability, uh, has no, uh, incentive to be efficient, to be effective or to ever change. And I think that's what you're, you're kind of addressing here is that none of these things are feasible unless we beg hard enough for our masters to change them. Right. Because mm -hmm. ultimately, at the end of the day, a lot of these changes have to come through legislation. And while police are continuously funded by taxation, and taxation, let me remind you, is not voluntary. I mean, they right. might claim it is on its face, but it's not. Mm -hmm. These are extracted tax dollars that fund uh, a legal racket, more or less, um, which extorts our, our money um, through revenue generation uh, for victimless crimes. And uh, there's there's three reasons why government will always abuse um, the service of protection and security. Mm -hmm. uh, the government has a monopoly. Therefore, whatever injustice they commit, there's no way to choose another provider or to hold them accountable. We can't pick and choose just like we would with a cell phone company. If a cell phone company were to screw us over somehow, overcharge us, uh, heaven forbid, beat us over the head with a billy club during a protest or something, we right. could very easily uh, vote with our dollar, vote with our lifestyle and choose to allocate our money towards a different provider. So when taxes are forced, the consumer has basically like no way to stop paying for its service, even if it's unsatisfactory. Um, even if, you know, they're unaccountable. Um, so it, it, it tends, what tends to happen is that these uh, services deviate from their so-called original attentions um, and oftentimes become less efficient, less effective 
kind of play by their own rules, have their own double standards, uh, because ultimately they're not motivated by pleasing their customers to increase the profit like a free market entity would be. So, um, you know, they're, they're motivated by how many tickets they can write to increase revenue. And I know that a lot of times people want to think of the quota system as a myth, but it, it's very real. Um, we've covered it multiple times. We've done podcasts with law enforcement officers. These quotas exist. Um, cops are oftentimes pulling people over, like I was saying, for, uh, you know, victimless infractions and mm-hmm. extorting them. And, uh, you know, that hurts the working class. And once again, those just wouldn't exist in a um, voluntarily funded, decentralized uh, community who gets to uh, pick and choose who their providers are for security and protection services. So, Jason, you've actually explained really well um, about police accountability and um, how it would work in our society. I want to know, um, so you see every day with what you do like horrible examples of police misconduct. Like as of late, what's the worst thing that you've seen that you have to post? Oh man, I hate this question because sorry, I'm honest, honestly, no, 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 it's okay. No, no. Oh, I'll just explain why, because there's no possible way I could remember everything. And it's like almost on a weekly basis, we're covering a so, new story that it's yeah. like, holy shit, I, this is the I worst thing I've ever it, heard. To be honest, I just get angry all the time. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, um, there's been so many over the years and it's hard to really say like which ones are the worst. Um, I mean, there's been kids shot and killed. There's been, um, you know, grandparents shot and killed, wrong address, no knock raids. I mean, there's just so many to really be able to keep um, in the back of my mind to to address. But there was one that um, we covered just this morning, which I was kind of thinking about when I knew we were going to have this conversation because it really uh, highlights the level of incompetency among law enforcement. And let me just remind you, in in 2000, um, the U.S. courts actually said it was okay for police to hire somebody who is too smart. So somebody actually tested uh, too high with their IQ level um, back in 2000 and actually put in a lawsuit because they weren't hired because they were just too smart for the job. Yes. But... um, I guess uh, last month in the city of Compton, California, um, there was like an unlawful stop for um, alleged illegal parking, which basically ended up with uh, a cop shooting eight rounds at a fleeing vehicle um, into traffic, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. So um, definitely go to the Free Thought Project, check that article out. But basically the story goes is that um, this dude was uh, waiting, double parked for his mom to get some Chinese food. And, uh, you know, he wasn't, he was, wasn't actually parked. You know, he had his foot on the brake. I mean, there's no crime. He wasn't out of his vehicle at all, but law enforcement officers, um, approached him and basically just started barking orders at him, um, rolled down his window. Uh, he, he tried to respond and be like rational and tell the police that, you know, he was just waiting for his mom. Uh, mm-hmm. but of course they started, you know, barking. He was illegally parked. Uh, he wasn't illegally parked. He was just waiting there. Uh, and then of course they started talking about other victimless infraction infractions. I guess they noticed that he had tinted windows. So mm-hmm. they started harassing him about that. 
And uh, just like anybody in their right mind, um, and I know this probably sounds counterintuitive, but he left. He, he decided to just flee the scene and he didn't want to be harassed or extorted by these people. He was doing nothing wrong. He had harmed nobody. And uh, he decided to make probably the bad decision to flee. But as he mm-hmm. was fleeing, the, the officer decided to pull out his, 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 uh, his gun and dump eight rounds at the fleeing car during a very uh, busy time of the day and traffic surrounding them. Uh, luckily, nobody was shot or killed. But um, I mean, it's just absolutely crazy. You know, it's like, how does this stuff get like a, a, a you know, what, how is this okay? Like, how do people ignore these types of cases, these types of, I mean, there's even video of the, the whole incident of body cam. So I mean, it, to me, it's like, you know, the people on the right, the bootlickers have no problems ignoring situations like these where it's such a prevalent, I mean, we cover stories like this all the time, cops losing their guns. I mean, these people have zero incentive, zero incentive to be, you know, safe, to be rational. And uh, yeah, it it shows, you know, it shows. No, no, it's true. And it, if anybody follows you, um, by the way, Jason is a co-founder of the Free Thought Project. So follow that as well. And we'll go over that at the end. But, um, you know, you can say something is just a weird mishap or whatever, but these things happen over and over. You can watch videos over and over every day being posted and stories being posted. This is not uncommon. The police, they they act horribly all the time. And I don't think people understand that. They think it's like some weird sort of like, oh, well, that wouldn't have happened if the cop did this. Or I see people comment and they say, well, can I see the video beforehand? It's like, could you maybe stop defending these people that have a monopoly on force and maybe understand that they're in the wrong? I don't really think that's hard to (laughs) consider, but apparently it is for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, a lot of people have been indoctrinated their entire lives to believe that these people are heroes. And uh, and even, even beyond that, a lot of times people can't envision a life without police and therefore they're, you know, inca- they're incapable of envisioning that they think that there just be nothing. They don't, they can't actually envision that there would be um, these, these companies that would fill their place that the market would actually produce um, you know, a substantial. You know, mm-hmm. I always say, I don't think a lot of people are really angry with homicide detectives. <laughs> I really don't think they are. <laughs> I sure. think they're more angry with traffic cops. And that's and right, right. So. <laughs> you know, right. so let maybe let's just be a little bit reasonable about it. Okay, so Jason, where can people find you? Where can they follow you? I know that you've been um, quieted by social the social media giants, but where can they find you? Well, we're on fifteen different social media platforms. Oh, we post on share each it all. one. <laughs> we post on each one every day. Um, I guess it depends on if you want to follow me, if you want to follow the Free Thought Project, if you want to follow Police the Police. Um, but generally, if you type in Police the Police, the Free Thought Project, or Jason Bassler on Twitter, MeWe, Facebook, Instagram, Minds, um, Float, Tumblr, uh, <laughs> Telegram. Yeah, I mean, we're literally on all of them. I, I know Tumblr. That one's always kind of embarrassing to say, but <laughs> How is that we're, we're not. 
we're not we're not trying to be censored. We're trying to get our information out there far and wide. And uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, this is one of the best strategies we could do is to not put all of our eggs in one basket. We've already made that mistake once. Mm-hmm. Um, but but oh, otherwise, what? the Free Thought Project dot uh, com. Um, we also have our podcast on Podbean, uh, Apple, Spotify. Um, we have our newsletter. We send out an email every single day. Um, so yeah, please, 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 please. We need your support. Yeah. Sign up for their email, sign up for stuff. If you don't like ads, like just sign up and support them. Like seriously, it's not that hard people. Um, yeah, we need it. Thank thank you. I'm really tired and old and I have a child. So (laughs) I wanted to talk a little more. But you, you gave some great answers and solutions. I think a lot of the times people talk about, um, you know, uh, police accountability and they don't have any real solutions. And you guys do good work and have great ideas. So I think definitely follow them and learn. I think libertarian ideas on police accountability are probably the best out there. So thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you, Tricia. Thank right, you. Good night.